bubbles in the air. They fly so high, <laughs> nearly reach the sky. For them like my dreams, they fade and die. Oh, Parker, do you realize what we could have said? Now, you didn't tell me we're on here. What happened to Sonny Air sign here? All right, bring it up, Peter. Okay. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> hey, George. innocent people are, huh, George? How innocent people are. It must be nice to be one of the pure in heart. Uh, you know, to be like the pure driven snow. Uh, John, do you mind if you get the machine going in there, please, will you? Get it going. You just start the machine in there. We would like to salute tonight, if you will. All just uh, threw in the ham and high fight song there to uh, to salute uh, the pure in heart. I think uh, that uh, we here in our rushing 20th century civilization rarely take the time out to give credit to those among us who deserve credit and rarely get it. And we would like to tonight take this opportunity to salute the pure in heart, uh, who rarely get any credit these days, the pure in heart, and those who are as of the driven snow. Uh, those of you who are listening know who you are. So we'd like to salute all of you innocents out there. For example, we would like to salute the man out in uh, in uh, Jersey in Route 9. Out in, uh, no, actually, it's Route 9 on New York. Uh, the guy has this big motel out there. And he had on his sign here the other day. I saw it. I was driving through there. And it says, if you're having an affair, have it here. Now, I'd like to salute that gentleman because obviously he is pure in heart. And as of the driven snow, he probably thinks, you know, catered affairs, that kind of stuff. But 
not being pure in heart and not being as of the driven snow, when I took one look at that motel sign, I says, oh, boy, at long last, they're saying it. They're coming right out with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, sing, gang. Come on, let's sing. Come on. Come on, quit fooling around. Sing it out. Hooray, 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 hooray for us. Yeah, hooray, hooray. We're going ever upward, onward, and onward. Ever upward, we, we will, we will go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excelsior, Excelsior is our watchword. We will carry the banners to the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Time out for a casual solo. Yeah, hooray, 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 hooray. Yeah, hooray for us, us. Oh, the ego is marching on, 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 E-G-O-O-O. Hooray for the ego, yeah. Oh. Thank you, thank you. Gee, music is so exciting, isn't it, gang? Now that, uh, just uh, thought we'd, uh, you know, mention that things are happening out there. Let's see, we have a letter here. It says, uh, Dear Shepherd, uh, it says, uh, Shepherd, uh, in the continued fashion of human catch, something uh, bothers me. Uh, you have the power to make and break the dreams of every full-blooded American slob. Uh, here is what is bothering me. All you have to do is to say two sensible words, and it's finished. One true story, and it's gone. That's true. And all that you have worked for is finished. Uh, uh, assemble 500 canaries singing the bluebird of happiness, and uh, your audience will be filled with bird nuts and an awful lot of lovesick parakeets. Very good. Good question. Well, we've already got 420 or 30 Canaries assembled. We're going to put that on one night. Uh, let's see, we have another one here. I'm just looking over all my various bits of trivia here. Uh, we'd like to salute. Would you please get uh, prepared in there, John? We're going to make another salute here. We would like to uh, salute the university president. You know, it's not often we salute university presidents on this show. And we would like to salute the, a, an outstanding university president who finally made a statement. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Hooray, 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 Salute the president of the university in Providence, Rhode Island, Brown University. And I uh, would like to quote from a recent Associated Press news note from that city, Providence, Rhode Island. Brown University music students held a musical protest in front of the president's office and got a totally unexpected response. University President Donald R. Hornig appeared out on the steps in the midst of the demonstration and played a short solo on his kazoo. The 250 students, some playing their instruments, others chanting, we need pianos, we need pianos, charged the university Monday with downgrading humanity programs in favor of science. Of course, it depends on how well the piano is played as to whether it's a humanity program, kid. I've heard some pretty bad piano men 
shortly after a university spokesman said Dr. Hornig would not address the students, the president stepped out of his office playing a kazoo. And we quote uh, the paper here, a toy mouth instrument. Oh, man. Culture is declining. Well, we'd like to celebrate uh, President Hornig's decision there. Uh, you're prepared in there again, John? We'd like to make another salute here. This is salute night on on the old spot on the dial. Salute night here at the old corral. Please, another man has done it for all of us. You like the way I say, don't you, John? <laughs> Do you think I'd make it down to Puerto Rico singing? Yeah? Yeah, they sing good down there. All right, we would like to salute in San Etienne, France. Batch after batch of Baker Maurice Rivas dough had been spoiled by breaks in the electrical service. It just kept coming off, you know, all the time. And he's trying to make his dough. Well, when it happened again last Friday... Monsieur Riveau loaded up 330 pounds of the dough, made a great big batch, went to the offices of the government-run electrical firm, and poured it down the stairway. <laughs> Take warning, Con Ed. <laughs> That concludes tonight's musical salute to Barbara Streisand. We move on. It's getting late here. Oh, boy. It's very exciting. Get that thing set up in there. Uh, I uh, I uh, don't know whether I should do this or not. Uh, Jerry, would you please look in my collection? Here, I'll tell you, right here. You come right in here. Right here. I'll give it to you right here. Uh, would you please uh, put on the numero uno? Yes, uh, you like my Spanish, numero uno. Mucho dinero. Huh? I know what mucho dinero means. I've never had it, but I know what it means. Mucho dinero. Ah, yeah. He's getting ready to set it up in there. You know, uh... I don't know where it's going to go. You know, uh, speaking of uh, trivia, uh, a moment ago here we had a little salute to... uh, Barbara Streisand, who a couple of years ago was the biggest thing since bottled beer in this, these parts. Uh, I wonder what, uh, whatever happened to that girl? You know, speaking of uh, up they go and away they go and disappearing into the limbo, like uh, the last strings of Tiny Tim's ukulele. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> where is Tiny Tim? I don't hear about him anymore. Whatever happened to, uh, whatever happened to Goldie Hahn? Remember Goldie Hahn? Goldie Hahn went away with the yo-yo and Betty Coed and uh, Betty Boop and uh, all the other great uh, American culture heroes. Whatever happened to... Uh, remember the girl that was doing all those uh, 
those uh, Alka-Seltzer commercials. Remember the one that, uh, that was always waking up and her husband was shaving? Remember that girl? And she was always making a heart-shaped meatloaf? What happened to that crowd? Gone to. Well, there must be a Valhalla for overnight instantaneous sensations. And overnight instantaneous anonymities. <laughs> I, I just wonder, what, can you see them all up there talking about their one brief moment in the sun? Let the, it would be kind of groovy to have a have a panel show where you get all those people, you know, a lot of the whole crowd. You know, you could have it presided over by Fats Domino and another uh, momentary... The Starlighters. <laughs> Remember that crew? Uh, speaking of overnight sensations, uh, is the time almost for station? Sure it is. This is WOR New York, overnight. You know, we've only been on the air over, oh, six, seven weeks. And the station's done pretty good in that time. Really has. Amazing. W-W-W-W-W, somebody stop me. Oh, I... W, 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 if you can stop me, oh, muscular, intensely dynamic, he was the very pattern of the modern major movie maker. Voluble, cunning, full of huckster shrewdness, slippery as a silverfish, and yet undeniably magnetic. S.J. Perlman remembers Mike Todd and the filming of Around the World in 80 Days. This week, and to be continued, in The New Yorker. Yes, The New Yorker. At your newsstand. Those thin lips, I sensed, could be merciless. But at the moment, they were busy weaving blandishments. Oh, man, does the thought of winter driving give you the unbelievable chills? <laughs> no need with general winter tires. You go in snow, or big old general pays the tow. Yeah, yeah, bring it up big. Want to hear them songs? Right now, your nearby general tire store is offering a pair of famous winter cleat black wall snow tires for only $38, size 650 by 13. Federal excise tax is 176 per tire. Larger sizes also available at comparable prices. White walls about $3 more per tire. This great general tire has four full plies of Nigen nylon cord and a deep cleat four rib tread that digs and grips. So take advantage of General's low pair price on snow tires now for all winter driving. Drive in where you see the big red General Tire G. Yeah, yeah. Say, I just learned something about wine. Great Western has a kicky set of booklets called A Little Something. Each one tells you a little something about their great wines. And you get them free from your local wine merchant. This one says, the driest or least sweet kind of champagne has B-R-U-T, brut, on the label. For those who prefer something less dry, Great Western has a variety of other New York State champagnes. Special Reserve, Extra Dry, Pink and Sparkling Burgundy. Whichever champagne you like best, you're always safe with Great Western, the great champagne to drink and to give. Try one. You'll see why they're called great. Great Western wine And you thought we only made great champagne Great Western, made by the Pleasant Valley Wine Company, Hammondsport, New York. Oh, well, you know, 
Here you come. We'd like to salute another man of our time, uh, an American cultural hero. Bring me a little American music on. Let the poodle do. Hooray, hooray, hooray for the U.S. of A. Hooray, hooray, let that banner hooray. Over and upward we go Time now for a salute to a current American hero Following in the footsteps of Johnny Appleseed You remember Johnny Appleseed? You ever hear about him when you were a kid, huh? And what he did? He walked around and planted apples wherever he went You know that in a lot of places in Indiana and out throughout that area Apples are still growing, you know, trees that were planted by Johnny Appleseed and uh, last year, we took note of the fact that uh, there was a guy who was doing the same thing for pot. Uh, there was a guy traveling around, and uh, wherever he went, displaying uh, goodwill and uh, generosity toward mankind, he was planting a little uh, a little Acapulco red here and there. And uh, yes, and it's, we're springing out. Do you remember when they had the big pot fields over in Jersey? And so we would like to salute tonight a man who is doing the same thing. Please bring on a little of that salute music, please. We would like to salute an unknown turnip king. A man is doing it for turnips. And the reason I particularly was turned down by this, because I happen to be... I'm very embarrassed about it. I, I uh, suppose it has to do with my uh, my Indiana background, but I happen to be a total turnip cuckoo. Now, you don't meet many guys that crave turnips. You ever have a turnip, John? They don't have them. Do they have many islands? I didn't think so. No, no, no turnips in the islands. Uh, they have uh, they have papaya down there, right? Plantains, plantains, plantains. How do you pronounce it? Plantains, plantains. I'm getting the official uh, quote here from John from Sanssouci. Yeah, platanos, platanos. Gracias, señor. Platanos. Very good. Gracias. Muy bien. Uh, gr- <laughs> he likes my. Uh, <laughs> you got to admit, I have. Uh, how does how does uh, Spanish sound when it's spoken with it? Uh, may I have you for a moment here, John? How does says uh, how does Spanish sound when it is spoken with an Indian accent? Funny, awful. Oh, that's terrible. But it's kind of cute, isn't it? Awful, muy bien. Gracias. Plantanos. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Plantanos. Well, uh, they have those down there. I've had plantanos, and it's not bad. I've had breadfruit. That's a bread de frutos, which is the way it's pronounced on the islands, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, uh, never. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I must say that we cannot ever totally escape the foods of our growing period. There's no way. Uh, I, I think uh, there are times when John, uh, when he's uh, sitting in the H and H, has an overwhelming taste for plantanos. Correctamo? Indeed, I suspected as much. And uh, occasionally you probably go down to a little bodega down there in, in the 20 someplace and pick up some plantanos, correct? Of course. Uh, this is always the way it is. A man, uh, man cannot live by plantanos alone, as they often say in uh, Sans Souci, correct, Amon? Right. Well, this is true. And, uh, of course, no matter where you go, you can become a, a fantastic gourmet. You can uh, live in nothing but the world of uh, Craig Claiborne. You know, I, I, I don't know anything about the background of Craig Claiborne. I can't say his name very well. Sounds like a large square box falling downstairs. But uh, Craig Claiborne uh, is the man who writes all those elegant articles in the Times about the food and things of that nature. 
Now, I'm sure that he must come from someplace. And, of course, being a very elegant gentleman who wears uh, very tailored suits and all that sort of thing and eats in these, these uh, superb restaurants, and he writes a thing like uh, the, uh, the, uh, the chocolat mousse. Uh, well, uh, somewhat grainy, nevertheless, uh, meant well. One and a quarter stars. Well, this takes a certain amount of pizzazz. <laughs> I mean, to just lay it out like that. And uh, it must be kind of groovy to, to be that sort of person. But uh, nevertheless, he must come from someplace. And wherever he comes from, uh, they had something there that he's vaguely ashamed to admit at this day and age that he actually likes secretly. Now, if you come from Jersey, no matter how famous you get, no matter how much of a gourmet you become, you know, ultimately, you may get out of Teaneck or Lower Hackensack or, uh, you know, wherever it is that you're festering at this time. You may, uh, you know, suddenly become very famous, buy yourself some checkered Tedersall vests and uh, get yourself a suede coat and wear thick uh, sunglasses and uh, wear a beret and spend a lot of time walking around, uh, you know, on the Rue de Rivoli and uh, spending much time on the Café de Veneto. But uh, you cannot escape the fact that late at night, at 2.30 in the morning, you get a terrible taste for a McDonald's hamburger, which is the native food of the Jerseyite. A McDonald's hamburger laced and washed down by some wild strawberry yuho. And uh, this, <laughs> you can't get away from it, right, John? <laughs> I'm sorry, John. <laughs> now, don't be ashamed of it. It is your native food. Uh, one must not be ashamed of the fact that at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, you get an uncontrollable taste for a Dairy Queen. Uh, a little Dairy Cream, uh, soft ice cream sprinkled with chocolate jimmies. This, of course, is your native food and should not be put down entirely. Now, as uh, coming from Indiana, I uh, have fought against it. I do not uh, say much about it at times. In fact, I never say anything about it and most of the time. Now, most of you probably think that I am a meatloaf cuckoo. This is not true. Uh, the meatloaf uh, is a taste that I acquired comparatively late in life and uh, cultivated it. A uh, meatloaf uh, is much like the olive. Uh, it's much like the uh, oyster. One does not like it at first chance. But after 10 or 15 meatloaves, one develops a kind of perverse taste for it, right? And ultimately, one uh, is under the impression that one likes meatloaf and that one then will brave it through and actually eat meatloaf and enjoy it. So man gets used to anything which is part of man's great charm. He can, like the cockroach, can adapt to any kind of inhumanity. However, uh, I must say that one of my absolute, total, and I have to sub uh, subliminate uh, this thing, I have to sublimate it, really, because they're almost unobtainable in the New York area. My secret taste is for mashed... Oh, please, I'm beginning to weep now. I'm weeping like you, John, thinking of a delicious platanos correctly prepared. Uh, it, is a, it is a thing of joy, correct? Even though the rest of the world cannot stand the taste and thinks it's totally dull, you, coming from your native land of Puerto Rico, enjoy the thought of a platanos properly prepared and by the correct loving hands. Correct, them all? Indeed. Well, uh, so it is that I admit that deep inside my soul, I can hardly fight down at times the desire to have a properly prepared, and it has to be proper, a properly prepared dish of mashed, lightly buttered, lightly salted, and lightly peppered, magnificently prepared 
yellow turnips. <laughs> well, you've probably never tasted them, have you? You do not know the turnip, right? Well, what you are probably under the impression of here in the East, they serve a, a vile whitish concoction, which is actually a hybrid kohlrabi, which they are under the impression is the turnip. No wonder they hate turnips from one end of Maine to the other end of North Carolina if they think this is the turnip. The Indiana turnip is a thing which nestles like a, like, like a, like a veritable jewel in the diadem of viand delights which uh, exist south of Indianapolis in great profusion. And I would like to salute a man who knows that fact well. From Connersville, Indiana. Have any of you been in Connersville, Indiana? You mind if I turn down my Indiana accent tonight? Notice I slightly shift gears. I become Indiana again. If you turn up at the turnip man's farm, you'll get your share free. A farmer who prefers to remain anonymous gives away all the turnips he grows every year. And uh, did you hear that, or, or couldn't you follow my accent? I repeat again, if you turn up at the turnip man's farm, you'll get your share free. Free. He gives them away. A farmer in Connersville who prefers to remain anonymous. And you notice Johnny Appleseed is anonymous. You do not know Johnny Appleseed's real name, do you? Johnny Potseed went around and uh, spread good cheer throughout the nation. Planning, uh, planning Acapulco Red remains anonymous. One does not know his name, and uh, a, a true legend one does not know, and one should not know. You do not know Rumpelstiltskin's real name. Correct. One does not know Santa Claus's real name. Of course not. He's part of a legend. And the legendary turnip man of Connersville, Indiana, tonight gets his due. Uh, and this year, I'd like to say, and I happily say this, there is a bumper crop of 18 full acres of luscious Indiana yellow turnips. The prospect of free turnips over the past half dozen years or so has drawn persons from all over Fayette County to the farm along Indiana 121, one mile south of here, Connersville, Indiana. Last year, the mysterious, quote, turnip man, well, it's pronounced in Indiana, turnip. That's turnip. Uh, the mysterious turnip man of Fayette County has offered more than was offered. He was offered more than $1,000 by a grocery chain for his magnificent bumper crop of pedigreed turnips, according to an area newspaper. But he turned it down to continue his tradition. And we quote here, every year he advertises in the classified section, the newsman said, but he insists that we leave his name out. Another sign on the road at 121 outside the farm advises people to eat turnips. They're good for you. But the farmer asked that no one take more than 10 or 15 pounds of free turnips. Word is that he doesn't want someone coming in to cart off a truckload for the market. And we quote the turnip man. Like all great men, like all legends, he has in his heart only his fellow man. And quote him, I like people. I just like people. And I want to share my beautiful turnips with them. And so tonight, this uh, radio station, <laughs> in its, uh, in its uh, busy schedule, has taken time out to its busy, its busy money-making schedule. <laughs> has taken uh, time out to salute the turnip man. 
out there in Connersville, Indiana. Another unsung American hero. And somewhere probably, John, in Puerto Rico, there's a Platanos hombre who uh, is uh, distributing uh, free Platanos to the people. <laughs> hey, did you like that I use that correctly? Platanos hombre? What does that mean? Platanos man or Platanos friend? Man. Now, what is the word for friend? Amigo. Platanos amigo. Right? You're a Platanos friend. So, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm doing uh, terrible things to your language. But uh, I mean well, John. Uh, you know, I, I, you've got to be kind. But uh, nevertheless, we thought we ought to salute that crowd out there that's doing that. Now, for those of you who've never had a yellow turnip, I, I don't often uh, discuss uh, American food here on this uh, this little time here, but I might as well do it. And I must admit that I also like breadfruit. You've had breadfruit? Yeah, well, you know, ever since I was a kid, and uh, and uh, that was up to last year, actually, ever since I was a kid, uh, I uh, from the time I saw... I, I saw that magnificent actor, I think one of the great uh, stage, uh, stage, possibly the greatest film actor. He just ate up film, like, uh, you know, like was made out of, uh, like was made out of candy, was Charles Lawton, the late Charles Lawton, who, by the way, was a villager. Did you know that? You did not know that the, the late Charles Lawton, uh, erstwhile Captain Bly, was a fellow Greenwich villager. So he knew where it was. But uh, nevertheless, uh, old Charles, I used to see him once in a while down there. Anyway, uh, Charles, you know, walking the streets. And, uh, <laughs> uh, Charles Lawton, uh, who uh, made uh, that famous remark, Mr. Christian! You ever hear that? You ever hear that remark? You didn't, John, huh? I'll do it again. You listen carefully to it. Mr. Christian! Well, he, he was uh, calling whom in that scene? Obviously, Mr. Christian. Mr. Who Christian? What was his first name? It was Mr. And I, I will, I will give it to you. It seems to be a lot of action in there now. I wonder what happened? Did it finally hit the fan? I see. Oh, one of uh, our famous phoners, eh? I see. Mm -hmm. Another strike, right, gang? Mm -hmm. Another statement by another intrepid union leader, right? Okay. You know what we ought to do here at this station? We ought to turn on a magnificent stereo LP. Down memory lane with our favorite strikes. And, uh, you know, a salute to Mike Quill, the late... Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, I, remember, uh, I remember those uh, wonderful words by Captain Bly. Mr. Christian! Uh, he said it with an upswing. Uh, at that, even at that time, I had a great ear for the way people said things. I used to listen to them very carefully how they said it. Mr. Christian! Will you come here? And uh, who would come charging along the quarter deck at that point, putting on his cocked hat and straightening up his sword to answer the summons of his master? Well, Clark Gable, of course. And uh, yes, it was Clark Gable, dressed up as Fletcher Christian, and I thought he was great in that role. I mean, you know, it's very hip to try to pretend that Clark Gable was not a good actor, but he was in a lot of ways. And uh, he came charging along and... Uh, and uh, Charles Lawton gave a long, steely look. And he would say, Mr. Christian, come to my cabin. And at that point, you knew it had hit the fan. Well, uh, one thing that uh, 
that Mr. Christian and Mr. Bly were involved in, John, and this relates specifically to your world. They were, uh, they were going out to, uh, to Tahiti to do what? Why were they going to Tahiti in that boat? You mean you don't know? Well, Jerry, if you don't know, there's a lot of other clodheads out there that don't know either. This is one of the great, most famous voyages of all time. Why were they involved in it? Where were they going? Most of you probably don't even know where the bounty was going and why it was going there. Well, should I tell you? I don't know why I should tell you this. Why, uh, they were they were on their way. I mean, you should have had a clue, for heaven's sakes, by what I've been saying here. They were on their way out to Tahiti to bring back breadfruit. They have been given a, a commission by the king to uh, because there was widespread uh, widespread uh, hunger down in the West Indies at that time. They had been given a commission by the king to go out to Tahiti to uh, bring back a crop, a whole series of uh, redfruit trees to plant in the West Indies and therefore to provide breadfruit for the natives of the West Indies. You knew this, of course. Now you all say, yeah, I knew that. Well, all right. Uh, stay tuned, friends, because this will appear on the final exam. Now, when they arrived out in Tahiti, uh, they arrived at a specific time of the year, and they had to get there at the time when the young trees were able to be transplanted. And so the bounty spent how many months in Tahiti uh, going about all the natives of Tahiti at the time were digging up the little young trees for uh, Captain Bly and his group. And uh, how long were they there? Do many of you think just a couple of days? No, that's not true. And this is a significant point in the, in the trip that the bounty made. They were there long enough for all the guys on the ship to make the scene in numerous ways to many of the local ladies. And in fact, many of them became very deeply involved with various local ladies who were notoriously loving. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so, when Captain Bly and his crew finally had got enough red trees stowed away aboard the bounty, they took off, much to the chagrin of a lot of the guys who had formed some very interesting relationships on shore. Correct them all? You see this? Well, they were out to sea a few weeks and sailing back, uh, going to the West Indies to bring to the West Indies the breadfruit where they were going to plant. And aboard, one of the most important guys aboard, the bounty was whom? All right, I will tell you. He was a botanist, a man who was in charge of all these trees. And in fact, he was a very famous botanist out of England at the time. And the, the botanist later wrote a very interesting book about the cruise of the bounty. His book is a very authoritative book on it. You've never read that, have you? <laughs> well, nevertheless, this man approached Captain Bly one day and said that they need more water for the plants. See, these plants needed water to grow. Well, the water was strictly limited aboard the bounty. They had these kegs full of water, and uh, it was fresh water. And uh, here they were. They were running low on water. They were becalmed a few weeks. It caused problems, and they were running low on water. At which point, Captain Bly uh, did something, which uh, later, they say, caused and precipitated, ultimately, the famous mutiny. What did he do? Well, he said, Cut the men's water! We must save the breadfruit. That is why we are here. 
Well, that went over real good, at which point they were beginning to uh, put the water that the men were to drink, and it was very hot where they were. The water, water was used to water the breadfruits. Well, the guy's tongue was hanging out, you know, and it was getting pretty rough, and that <laughs> no water, and the breadfruit were growing when all of a sudden it finally blew up like a gigantic boil. And what was the first thing that the men do uh, did as a matter, a kind of a gesture against Captain Bly? Well, they did. Uh, obviously, after taking him prisoner and telling him they were taking over the ship, they threw the breadfruit overboard. Salt water, of course, immediately destroying the breadfruit. Uh, they threw the breadfruit overboard, and Captain Bly was set loose in a boat, a little boat. Uh, a, actually, it was a lifeboat, a, a ship's boat, with nothing but a little sail, and that's it, and a little jug of water, and some pemmican, and a few pieces of biscuit, which was wormy, and with the few people who refused to go off on this mutiny, and he was set a sail, and they thought he'd never make any place, and he was 50,000 million miles away from every place. And as he shook his fist, as they floated away, he shouted out, he shouted out, Fletcher Christian! Fletcher Christian! And Fletcher Christian stood on the foredeck of the ship holding a musket, and he motioned for his men to remain silent, who were yelling at the Captain Bly. He said, be silent, hear what he has to say. At which point, uh, uh, Bly shouted out, Fletcher Christian! I will live! To see you hung from the yard arm. I will live. I will get back to England, and you will regret your act. Well, of course, everybody aboard the ship laughed to beat hell, because he had about as much chance of arriving in England in this boat as you have of rowing across the Atlantic in your little rubber ducky raft. Well, Captain Bly, at that point, then performed, and for the next months, he performed one of the great legendary feats of seamanship. Did you know this? Of course you all knew this. No, really, the, the legendary trip of Captain Bly and his small group of people, maintained by his incredible will and seamanship and navigation, he had back practically no instruments. He navigated the ship back to a port thousands of miles from where they had left him off. And of course, from that minute on, it was uh, bad news for Fletcher Christian. He got back. He really did. Well, ultimately, uh, breadfruit did arrive in the West Indies. And uh, from the time that, that I read that book, I, read, I, I was a little kid, and I read uh, The Mutiny on the Bounty by Nordoff and Hall. This was a book that really got to me when I was a kid. I was, I was going through a whole phase of reading fantastic sea stories at one point. And I think anybody who's ever lived out in the Great Plains area of, uh, of America is far more attracted to sea stories than people who live in the area where there is the sea. To them, the sea is kind of, uh, you know, it's a kind of uh, thing they take for granted. They don't think much about it, really. But when you go way out in the plains, you find a lot of people are fascinated by sea stories. And uh, many, you know that they find the preponderant number of guys who join the Navy are from pla places that are, are not not uh, bordering the sea. Guys like uh, Kansas and, and uh, Idaho and Utah. And a thousand, every kid I knew at one point wanted to be in the Navy in Indiana. <laughs> there ain't no sea for a pretty, pretty fur piece around where we are. 
And uh, so I used to read these fantastic stories of the sea, like, uh, you know, Mutiny on the Body. One of the greatest stories of the sea I, I read was a character... All right, I'll, I'll ask you. He was played... Here's a bit of trivia. He was played in the movies by Errol Flynn. Who was it? Come on, did you, you guys didn't hear me. I repeat the question. You're getting involved in your technique in there again. Uh, there was a great sea character portrayed by Errol Flynn. He was a famous sea character, big famous movie. Errol Flynn played him. And as a kid, I read a book. I read the book about it. What was his name? What was the character? Nope. His first name was Captain Hornblower. No. Hornblower was played by whom? Another great character of the sea, fictional, of course. Based, incidentally, on Nelson. Uh, that was played by Gregory Peck. Who did uh, Errol Flynn play? The first name was Captain. And I'll give you a clue. It was by a famous Italian writer of incredible stories. Have you ever heard the name Raphael Sabatini? No. Well, all right. You're learning a lot tonight, aren't you? He wrote, he wrote the saga of Captain Blood. Have you ever heard that name? Well, all right, Mr. Flynn played him. Well, as a kid, I read Captain Blood. I, I, I was really deeply involved in all this stuff. All the hornblower stories really got me going. And one of the great moments of my life, John, who is from the islands, you may be interested in this, I'm in Barbados here last year. Now, Barbados is a great island. If you've never had the chance to go to Barbados, go, friend. Uh, this is a great island. You agree? It is a fantastic place. I love the Barbados. And I'm sitting in, in uh, breakfast one morning in this little place in Barbados, out on the, absolutely on the beach. There's a great big blackbird came swooping down all the time on the table trying to steal my breakfast. Yeah, they eat your breakfast all the time. And I am having flying fish, which everybody has in the morning in Barbados. Great fish, by the way. And uh, the, the girl came up to me and asked me if I would like some breadfruit. So, after all this time, I am now having some breadfruit. French fried at that point. It is prepared a thousand different ways. And that's why they call it breadfruit. They make flour out of it. You can be, they can make bread out of it. They, make, they eat it as a vegetable. It's done in a hundred different ways. But this morning, I am having French fried breadfruit with my flying fish. And I dipped into the breadfruit. I, by the way, later that night, I had breadfruit soup, which tastes a little like warmed-over library paste. And uh, <laughs> But it is breadfruit. And as I'm eating the breadfruit, me, a turnip fan, who loves the red and the yellow and the white turnip properly done in the Indiana style, I'm hearing faint echoes coming from the sea. Faint echoes of Charles Lawton saying, Mr. Christian, the breadfruit will get to the West Indies, for my name is not Bly. Do you hear me, Mr. Christian? Do you hear me? We are on a king's commission. The breadfruit will arrive in the West Indies. There I'm sitting with the breeze blowing, having a little morning, a little morning repast of flying fish, 
French fried egg fruit. Captain.